the almost Independence Day. If uh, you could take your Bibles this morning and open them to the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 20. I want to thank uh, Pastor Jim for filling in last week. I hope you enjoyed his ministry to you. And um, I thought I would just continue on where he left off. He he gave a message on sin. Well, the message that the Lord has sort of laid on my heart uh, for today, normally we would be continuing our Genesis study. We're just putting that on hold for a week. If the power holds up for this session... Uh, is, a, is a message entitled, Is America Under the Judgment of God? To help us answer that, we're looking this morning at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And I believe that's the section of Scripture that reveals to us more clearly than I can think of related to any other part of the Bible exactly where America is today. As I was sort of putting this material together, there was so much stuff, I said I need to break this into two. So I tried to teach part one in Sunday school, and uh, our power went out, and so Sunday school got cut a little short. Um, I don't think it was Zuckerberg that did that to us. (laughs) I think the power went out with around 6,000 people around here. So people watching online, don't panic. There was no terrorist attack or anything that that I'm aware of. So what I was going to do is I was just going to pick up uh, where we left off in Sunday school. Is America under the judgment of God? Sort of a um, depressing subject, as you'll see. But take heart, I'm planning on ending with a note of optimism. One of the things that you see in the book of Romans chapter 1 is the wrath of God. He says in Romans 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. In the scripture, there are different forms of divine wrath. We have a tendency to think of God's wrath as sort of a one size fits all. But there are about, as we talked about in Sunday school, about five different kinds of God's wrath, one of which is when God withdraws his presence and allows nations to do what they want to do. As that begins to happen, you can clearly see that a nation, a people, are under God's judgment. And the reason God does that is... To whom much is given, much is required. We saw in Sunday school that God has disclosed himself in creation. There's there's no doubt God exists. And his mindset is that people would see that and seek truth. But very, very sadly, according to verse 18, they don't seek the truth. They take what's obvious and they hold it down. And God at that point says, okay, if you want to go that way, I won't bother you anymore. 
I will, I will remove my hand of blessing. You don't want me. I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to go to where I'm not invited. I don't want to be a third wheel, so to speak. So go ahead and have your own way. And Romans 1 is a description of what happens to countries and nations that go that direction. And that's exactly where we are today. With uh, America, I think it's a bit more severe because we have a Judeo-Christian heritage. Perhaps like no other nation on the face of the earth that we have deliberately turned our back on. It doesn't take much to prove this. Uh, Notice the words here from this uh, really good Bible college. It says, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life, which is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17.3. Therefore, to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom. Let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs 2 and 3. Everyone shall exercise himself in reading the scripture twice a day that he shall give an account of his proficiency therein. The rules of Harvard. 1636. That's our heritage as a country. Benjamin Franklin, who is typically considered the least religious of our founding fathers, wrote a tract, and he was trying to get people to uproot from Europe and come to America. And he wrote these words, Hence, bad examples to youth are more rare in America. Atheism is unknown there. Infidelity, rare and secret, So the persons may live to a great age in that country without having their piety shocked by meeting either atheist or infidel. My, how things have changed. John Jay, you should know that name. He's a uh, our first Chief Justice to the United States Supreme Court, appointed by George Washington. He wrote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. He called America at its inception a Christian nation. Here's a man named uh, Alexis de Tocqueville around the 1830s. A Frenchman wanted to come to the United States and figure out what made this country tick. I mean, why why was it working? And he wrote about it in several books, one of which is called Democracy in America. And this is what he said about America in 1830. He says, There is no country in the whole world in which the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. And there can be no greater proof of its utility and of its conformity to human nature that its influence, Christianity that is, is most powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation of the earth. There wouldn't be freedom, de Tocqueville said, without Christianity. 
our United States Supreme Court in 1892 in a unanimous decision which cited 87 historical precedents beginning with Christopher Columbus. Justice David Josiah Brewer writing the majority opinion, actually a unanimous opinion for a unanimous court, wrote this. He says, this is historically true. From the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. These are not the sayings of the declarations of private persons. They are organic utterances. They speak the voice of the entire people. These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. This was actually a fascinating quote from a fascinating case dealing with New York hiring a pastor from Europe. And as that pastor was coming across the pond, he found himself in violation of the immigration laws. I guess that was when we used to care about immigration laws. But as he was coming across, they said, you can't come you're violating the immigration law, and the Supreme Court stepped in and says, you can't have an immigration law against a pastor because this is a Christian nation. 1892, unanimous decision by the Supreme Court. This is our heritage. I'm not trying to portray our founding fathers as perfect people. There are no such people. But there was a consensus that Christianity is true. And we heard Proverbs 14, verse 34 quoted earlier, didn't we? Righteousness exalts a nation. It doesn't say tax cuts exalt a nation. It it doesn't say low interest rates exalt a nation. Proverbs says righteousness exalts a nation. The reason that we are experiencing divine judgment from God as I speak in the form of divine abandonment is we have taken all of these truths and completely turned our back on them. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. The greater the knowledge, the greater the accountability. America has all of this going for it in its heritage And yet we act as if this history didn't exist. I'm of the mindset of Thomas Jefferson, who said this, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice will not sleep forever. In context, do you know who Thomas Jefferson was speaking of here or what he was speaking of? He was speaking of the institution of slavery. And what he was saying is, we better get that one fixed. Because that's a human rights violation. And if we don't get this one fixed, I'm afraid for this country, because the institution of slavery goes right against the Declaration of Independence, which says we are all endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. And when the United States just turns its back on its Christian heritage, most, most schools don't even teach this information anymore, we're embarrassed to say. And we understand that whom much is given, much is required, and that God does judge nations. 
I'm sort of of the mindset of Thomas Jefferson. I'm, I'm fearful for the future and the direction of our nation. And so that takes us away from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Revelation of God that he exists and the reason for his wrath. People act as if he doesn't exist and they suppress the truth. We studied Romans 1, 19 and 20, where God's self-revelation in creation renders mankind excusable. And now what you start to see is the results of a nation that rejects its God. What are the results? And so we pick it up this morning with verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Notice verse 21. Which says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Now, what does it mean here when it says they knew God? I mean, he, Paul is dealing here with unbelievers. How can an unbeliever know God? Well, as we studied earlier, people know that God exists because God has disclosed himself in creation. It's called general revelation. If you drop down just for a moment to verse 32, the end of the chapter, it says the same thing. Although they knew the ordinance of God. On the day of judgment, whether it's any of the great atheists of our day, Madeline Murray O'Hare, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, I think is his name. They're not going to show up on the day of judgment and say to God, I had no idea you existed. Because God has disclosed himself through creation. The problem isn't on God's end. It's on man's end. Verse 18, they've taken what's obvious and they've held it down in unrighteousness. The expectation of God as you look at the intricacies of our created world is that people would see that and they would submit to God. They would seek truth. But mankind, particularly the United States of America, has chosen not to do that. We have instead suppressed what is obvious. And we do not, as verse 21 says, honor or thank him for what he has done. When you look at a Picasso painting, as we said earlier in class, you see the beauty of it. The, tent, the concept should be to honor Picasso. Look at that brilliant artist. When you read a Shakespearean masterpiece, the normal temptation is to say Shakespeare was a literary giant. God says, look at what I've done in creation. Look at the world that you're living in. Look at the fact that no two fingerprints are the same. No two snowflakes are the same. Look at the fact that your world is rotating around the sun, not too close to the sun that we burn to death, not too far away from the sun that we freeze to death, that we rotate exactly the right distance from the sun to sustain life. 
And although you will glorify Picasso, although you will glorify Shakespeare, you won't glorify me, God says. So my wrath is kindled. And as my wrath is kindled, it's going to be manifested, as we will see, in divine abandonment. Of course, the tool that's being used today to dismiss the Creator from our thinking is evolution. You all know what that is. From the goo to you, by way of the zoo, over billions and billions of years, a theory that has been debunked so many times, it's stunning to me that people still believe it. Here's some very good resources that debunk evolution and show it to be just a theory, a poor one at that, from an academic point of view. Just listen to the evolutionists themselves. Alfred S. Romer says, links are missing just where we most fervently desire them. Isn't that interesting? We're looking for a missing link, and we really want it to be here in the fossil record, but it's not showing up. It shows his bias. Links are missing just where we most fervently desire them to be, and it's all, it's all prop, too probable that many links will continue to be missing. Now, that's not a right-wing fundamentalist saying that. That's an evolutionist themselves. Colin Patterson of the British Museum of National Natural History says, Gradualism, evolution, is a concept I believe in, yet Gould and the American museum people are hard to contradict when they say there are no transitional fossils. As Russ Miller, uh, who was on our trip, our guide, he says, where would the evolutionists be today without all of their crayons? Because they draw pictures all of the time of what the missing link supposedly from ape to man is going to look like. Well, have you found it yet? No, but when it shows up, this is how it's going to look. You say that I should show a photo of the fossil from each type of organ, where, uh, where each type of organism was derived. I will lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil from which one could make an airtight argument. It's easy enough to make up stories of how one form gave rise to another and to find reasons why the stages should be favored by natural selection, but such stories are not part of science for there is no way of putting them to the test. What he's saying is it's a fairy tale for adults. And yet people believe it. Why why is something so scientifically problematic so popular? There's a very simple reason for it. It moves God from one's thinking. It gives a person an ability to explain creation without God. And if you can explain the intricacies of creation without God, as intellectually sloppy as it is, you're not accountable to God because you're God. When you wake up in the morning and and shave, as as a man shaving your face, you're looking at God in the mirror. I'm God. I can do what I want, live the way I want. Charles Ryrie writes this, the evolutionary origin of man relieves man of responsibility to a personal creator outside himself. And this is why the United States is under the judgment of God. 
we have this tremendous Christian heritage and yet we've lived our lives and acted like as a nation that he doesn't exist at all. Even to the point of buying into foolish fables to dismiss God from our thinking. What should be happening in this country in every pulpit across America is we should be celebrating the 4th of July. Because the 4th of July, according to John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of the United States of America, said the 4th of July is just as spiritual and biblical a holiday as is Christmas and Easter, or better said, Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Fourth of July, we celebrate because it's the first time in human history that the principles of a book, the Bible, entered into a government through the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, etc. So John Quincy Adams, way back in 1837, said everybody should be celebrating the 4th of July. He said, quote, direct quote, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior and forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. The Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon the earth and laid the cornerstone for human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Close quote. Celebrate Christmas, you celebrate Resurrection Sunday, you ought to celebrate the 4th of July as a Christian holiday. And yet how many churches are really taking the time to do something like this that we're doing here? I would submit very, very few. The 4th of July, to most people, is just uh, another long weekend. But that's not what it's about. It's about Christianity and how Christianity was inserted into a document called the Declaration of Independence and then later the Constitution, which has given more people more economic and political freedom than any other document in the history of mankind. This is why the world, we have a borders crisis now, the world is trying to get here. Because the countries that people are fleeing from weren't founded on this base. America was. And God says, to whom much is given, much is expected. You ought to honor me and you ought to be thankful to me because of it. But America, in spite of this heritage, has decided to buy into other fables to dismiss the Creator from their thinking so we can live how we want to live. You can't even present creationism in the public schools today. You have to present evolution as some sort of scientific, dogmatic fact, or you're quickly under a federal lawsuit if you don't tow the party line. America has turned its back on God. And God says, all right, if you want to do that, there's consequences. The consequences are my wrath. My wrath won't necessarily be manifested as a Sodom and Gomorrah lightning bolt moment, but it's a removal of my presence. 
It's a divine abandonment. So what happens to a country like ours that has such light but pretends like that light isn't there? You move into the second part of verse 21 and through verse 23, and you'll see two things happening. Number one, the thinking of people becomes darkened. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. As all of the people with the PhDs leading the parade into godlessness are honored, what God says is your mind just got darkened. And they can profess themselves to be wise all they want, but your thought process was shut down. You became a fool without knowing it. Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. America was not started by fools. America was started by people that anchored our rights in God, the Declaration of Independence. But when a nation rejects that and rejects its heritage, its mind becomes darkened. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to get smart? You submit to the authority of God. You want to be dumb? You act like God doesn't exist. By the way, this is exactly what happened with Satan, the fall of Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 17, describes his fall, a a beautiful creature. With tremendous intellectual capacity, intelligence, Ezekiel 28, verse 12, but on account of pride, he fell And what happened to Satan's mind? Ezekiel 28, verse 17 says his mind became darkened. It says you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. The mind works correctly when it's functioning rightly. How's that for some depth there? And God intended the human mind to function under his authority. But if you clip the cord, then the mind is not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not functioning under the right authority that it's supposed to function under, and it becomes darkened. That graph there is a description of SAT scores pre-1962 and post-1962. That big line there is 1962, and you can see a precipitous drop in SAT scores. And you say, well, what happened in 1962? 1962 is when our Supreme Court threw God out of the school. The book of Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But if you're not going to fear the Lord, respect the Lord, if you're going to develop an educational process without God, then the mind gets dark. The SAT scores plummet, 
And we have been lulled into a foolish way of thinking that, well, let's just fix the problem by throwing more money at it. We'll just throw more money at it and we'll throw more bureaucracy at it and that will fix the problem. That's not what your Bible says. Your Bible says you threw God out. So your brain can't function the way it's supposed to function. This is the consequences of the judgment of God on the United States divine abandonment. Remember what George Mason said, we quoted him in the first hour, that God does judge nations, and when He does it, He does it immediately. Because a nation doesn't have a soul. The judgment of people that have eternal souls wait for the next life. A nation has no soul. So if God is just, He judges a nation instantaneously. It's it's exactly what Romans 1 said would happen. The intellect becomes darkened. What's the second result or the second consequence? It's right there in verse 23. Man becomes an idolater. Romans 1.23. We're just going verse by verse today through Romans 1. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. See that? in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling things. God designed the human heart to be in fellowship with Him, but if man rejects the knowledge of God, then he's got to fill the void with something, an artificial substitute. Idolatry. You know what people are worshiping right now, folks? The earth. You throw out the real God, you gotta throw in something else to worship. Let's worship the earth. It's called the Gaia hypothesis. According to one Gaia advocate, he says, according to the Gaia hypothesis, we are parts of the greater whole. If we endanger her, the earth, our mother, she will dispense with us in the interest, interest of a higher value. That is life itself. Another Gaia advocate says Gaia is Mother Earth. Gaia is immortal. She is the eternal source of life. She does not need to reproduce herself as she is mortal. She is certainly the mother of us all, including Jesus. Gaia is not a tolerant mother. She is rigid and inflexible, ruthless, the destruction of whoever transgresses Her unconscious objective is that of maintaining a world adapted to life. If we men hinder this objective, we will be eliminated without pity. You wouldn't believe the number of people that believe this. People at the highest levels of our country believe this. We better treat the earth right or the earth is going to retaliate against us through earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes. I'm all in favor of common sense environmentalism. But the problem is to be an environmentalist today, you have to become an earth worshiper. And my Bible won't allow me to do that. The earth is not a living being. It's an inanimate object that God created. But if you reject God, you become an idolater. Quoting that great uh, theologian, Danny Glover. And a lot of his movies I enjoy. But he's commenting here on an earthquake in Haiti in 2010, 
And he says what happened in Haiti could happen anywhere in the Caribbean because all of these islands are in peril because of global warming. When you see what we did at the climate summit at Copenhagen, this is the response. This is what happens. You know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, Danny. This is earth worship. You're blaming an earthquake on the United States not having the right environmental policies at a prior summit. And in the process, what you're doing is you are attributing living being attributes to an inanimate object, earth worship. This is what the Bible says would happen to people that reject God. They, by nature, become idolaters, worshiping the earth. So mankind's rejection of God results in idolatry and darkened thinking. And then you come to probably the final major thought in this chapter is God abandons mankind to passion and its consequences. He gives mankind over. Look at verse uh, 24. Therefore God gave them over. Look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them over. Look at verse 28. Middle of the verse. God gave them over. I mean, there's an obvious literary clue here as to what's happening. You give up on me, you suppress the truth. Romans 1 verse 18, I give up on you. You quit on me, I quit on you. God calls that divine wrath. Not in a Sodom and Gomorrah sense, but in a divine abandonment sense. This is incredibly sarcastic. And don't think for a minute that God doesn't do some good sarcasm from time to time. Uh, just, just look at the different judgments in Egypt in the days of the Exodus. Ten judgments. Each judgment was designed to mock one of the gods, little g, of Egypt. Oh, you like frogs? They worship frogs. Here's so many frogs, you won't know what to do with them. Oh, you like the Nile? You worship the Nile? I'll turn it to blood red. This, this is the same thing that's happening here. You abandon me, I'm abandoning you. That's why it says here, three times God, uh, God gave them over. Does God give people up to themselves in Scripture? Look at the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days will be 120 years. You got 120 years and that's it, pre-flood generation. I'm withdrawing my hand. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. The people of Israel wanting a king. Samuel was upset at their choice. But then the Lord ministered to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people. 
in regard to all that they have said to you, for they have not rejected you, but have rejected me from being king over you. Don't be upset with them, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Yes, they want a king. Yes, they're out of my will. But give them what they want. When they got Saul, who was a 40-year disaster, divine abandonment. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 16, God says to Jeremiah, as for you, do not pray for this people. I mean, we, we're focused all the time about we gotta pray for this person and pray for that person. There comes a point where God says, stop praying. As for you, do not pray for this people and do not lift up cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I do not hear you. They've gone too far. Divine abandonment, a form of divine judgment. You all know I'm not a poster boy for Calvin, but he says something really interesting in his Romans commentary as he's talking about this concept of divine abandonment. He goes, do you know, do you know when a nation has gone into the wrath of God via divine abandonment, he gives that nation wicked rulers. Once a nation has wicked rulers, Calvin said, that's the evidence that divine abandonment has set in. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4. This is what the prophet Isaiah said to the people of the nation of Israel under his disciplinary hand. He says, I will make mere lads their princes and capricious children will rule over them. I'll put people over you that are kids. Now, chronologically, they might not be kids, but maturity-wise, that's what they are. They're children. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12 says... O my people, the oppressors are children and women. Women rule over them. O my people, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your path. You want to know if you're under the abandoning, disciplinary, wrathful hand of God? I'll put people that are children to rule over you. And I'll put women in charge of you. I strongly believe women have a great, great role to play in the church and Christianity. But it is very disturbing to me to look at church after church after church, pastored by a woman. Elder board ruled by women. Once that becomes the norm, you can say to yourself, that's divine abandonment. I mean, that's what God said would happen. When you have the President of the United States, and it's, I'm not saying this as any, in any mocking tone, but when he can't walk up and down the stairs of Air Force One without falling over, 
When, as happened this week in a media appearance, without any media etiquette at all, just gets up right in the middle and leaves, and everybody is saying, why did he do that? When he has to be guided around where to stand, where to sit by the Easter Bunny during a White House celebration, it's easy to cast derision at that, but here's the thing to understand. That's divine abandonment. That's exactly what God said he would do. When a nation rejects the obvious, I will give you over. And what specifically does he give people over to? Well, here we go. List of four. You ready for this? Number one, impurity. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their own hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Now, I'm not going to say much about that because there's more on that coming. Number two, he gives them over to idolatry. Verse 25, this is all a form of his wrath. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forevermore. Assigning animate objects to an inanimate object, the earth, earth worship. The earth has a fever calling the earth our mother. Telling us that the earth is dying. And if you look carefully, you can see the eyes on the earth and she's crying, save your mother. I mean, do you realize that this is taught over and over again in public schools to youth? This is what they think. The Bible says it's idolatry. And yet it shouldn't surprise us. God says, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. When a nation suppresses the truth and abandons me. Well, cheer up, folks. It gets worse. (laughs) Homosexuality. Confusion of sexual identity. Look at verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts. Sexuality is a gift from God. The sex drive itself was given by God. But God says, you better consult the owner's manual because I've designed for sexuality to function a particular way. Because I'm God, I have that right. This is the optimal use of sexuality right here. One man for one woman for one life. But if I sever myself from God, what do I do with my sexual energies? I express them any way I want. I I do what's right in my own eyes. God says that will happen to a culture that turns his back on me. Sexual confusion. In fact, that's how you know, (laughs) 
how close you are and how far along you are as a culture in this area of divine abandonment, you just look at what the culture is doing with sexuality. And obviously we're not moving the right direction. Everything that used to be considered common sense has been thrown out. You make up the rules as you go. I mean, we've even got to take men who transition into being women and put them into women's sports. What kind of insanity is that? That's a culture that's abandoned God and doesn't know the rightful place anymore for a man or for a woman. How could you know if, if you just cast aside the manual written by the one who constructed the car? Uh, College of the Ozarks is right now in a, in a legal battle. Why are they in a legal battle? Because there are men, college men, calling themselves women, wanting to live in the woman's dorm in college. College of the Ozarks says, no, not here. Well, the Biden administration comes in with an executive order and says, we're going to force them in. Well, United States Supreme Court, will you help us? Not here. No help for you. This this is the, the craziness. This is the whirlwind that happens in a country that turns his back on God. It's all laid out here in the Bible. It shouldn't surprise us. It's it's tragic. And this is what leads to the persecution of the godly. And someone's playing a nice song over there, so. Thank you. In Oregon, uh, you have a war on Aaron and Melissa Klein. It says, yet in another example of gay activist outreach, an Oregon official has not only burdened a Christian couple with a ridiculous fine, he has imposed a gag order on them. Gag order? In one of the most egregious anti-Christian acts committed by a state official in recent memory, Oregon Labor Commissioner Brad Avakian not only upheld the ridiculous $135,000 fine levied, levied against Aaron and Melissa Klein for what? For declining to bake a cake for a lesbian commitment ceremony. That was their crime. But he ordered the Kleins to cease and desist from making any public comments about their religious convictions relative to the state. It's a government compulsion to make the abnormal normal. And if you stand on the wrong side of the issue because you believe this book, as the Kleins apparently do, you can expect the legal system to collapse on you. Now, we did get some good news this week on Friday. More on that in just a second. So you're given over to impurity. You're given over to idolatry. You're given over to sexual confusion. And one other fast thing on this issue of sexual confusion, look at the end of verse 27. And receiving in their own bodies the due penalty of their error. 
you move in the direction of sexual confusion and begin to express your sexuality outside of the design of God, then things in the physical body will go wrong. It, It is a truth. You can study it yourself. Homosexuals represent a small percentage of the population. And yet they ha- they experience a disproportionate share of domestic violence, suicide, sexually transmitted diseases. And as they're going through this suffering, they want to turn around to the Christian world and say, it's your fault because you're not accepting us. They want, they want to purge the standard. Because if you get rid of the standard, there's nothing bad to feel about. Feel feel bad about, they think. God says that's not the problem. The problem is you're living in a way that's contrary to the design of God. You're living in a way that's outside the manufacturer's manual. That's the problem. And that is a natural consequence or repercussion of a nation that takes God and suppresses his disclosure of himself in creation. This is where we are as a culture. The last thing you're given over to is depravity. Verses 28 through 32. Number one, a depraved mind. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, what is a depraved mind? It's a reprobate mind. It's a mind that functions, but it cannot come to the right conclusions. Why can't it come to the right conclusions? Because Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You throw God out of the equation and the mind becomes darkened with the SAT scores that we talked about earlier. As a nation is given over to a reprobate mind, the policies of that nation don't make any logical sense. For example, you can, as we did in our youth troop, book a domestic flight in the United States from Texas to Arizona and pass through metal detector after metal detector after metal detector and yet the southern border of Texas is wide open? I mean, can somebody, Democrat, Republican, whatever you want to call yourself, can someone logically explain that to me? It doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't it make any sense? Because God says that will, that's what will happen to a country. That rejects him. The brain doesn't work. The, the, the intellect becomes darkened. What else are we given over to? We're given over to depraved sins. A depraved mind, verse 28, depraved sins, 29 through 31, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, 
without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Notice this one here. I can't go through all of them, but notice greed. They're given over to greed, verse 29, envy, verse 29. Do you understand that that's what Marxism is built on? It's built on class warfare, conjuring up the greed of one group against another. Someone has more than you or me. And under a Marxist paradigm, we think the reason they have more than me is they stole it. They call this equity, by the way. So what am I going to do once I'm brainwashed with that system? I'm going to vote for people that promise to redistribute the wealth, like Bernie Sanders, for example, an open socialist. I never thought I would see the day where an open socialist would be very, very close to winning the nomination of his party. We're not dealing anymore with some radical professor or website. We're dealing with elected officials of the United States of America, one of which is an open socialist. Socialism is based on greed. They didn't get that money through hard work, ingenuity. They stole it. Because in the Marxist paradigm, it's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Equity, they call it. Not equal opportunity as a starting point, but equality as an ending point. We redistribution of the wealth. Such a system would be rejected if greed and envy was in check. But God says if you throw me out, greed and envy will take over. So it really doesn't surprise me at this point in American history that we're now flirting with Marxism. They don't call it Marxism. They just have a nicer sounding name, social justice. Doesn't that sound nice? I would just say talk to the people that lived under it. Americans have never lived under it. Others have and have fled here from it. Talk to them about it. It doesn't, it sounds good on paper. It doesn't work in real life. What else does he mention here? Verse 30. Haters of good. Slanders and haters of good. You hate what's right. I'm not here to defend every little thing Pat Robertson, who recently passed away, did. But I generally thought he was a man of God. Didn't agree with him on everything. But he tried to put the Bible first. He passes away recently at the age of 92. Here's the LGBTQ nation. It's okay to be happy that Pat Robertson is dead. In fact, if you go through this article, if you have the patience to do it, the whole article is an apologetic as to why it's okay to be jubilant that Pat Robertson is dead. Haters of good. Uh, Chris Christopher Hitchin, the, Hitchens, the well-known atheist at the time, did the exact same thing to Jerry Falwell when he died. was on an interview where he says, I'm glad he's dead. I'm happy about it. And the interview is saying, well, wait a minute, hold the phone here. Shouldn't you give the family 
a little bit of time here to grieve. I don't care about the family. I'm glad he's dead. Haters of good. It's, it's stunning to see it, but when you look at it from a Romans 1 angle, God says, this is what, this is what you can expect. How, how about this one here? End of verse 30, disobedient to parents. There will be a fracture in the parent-child relationship in the nation that rejects God. Why is that? Because God is the one who authored the parent-child relationship. It's as old as Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Those kids in your house, mom and dad, they're yours. You're responsible for bringing them up in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord. That's not the public school's job. That's your job, mom and dad. That's not the youth group pastor's job. We have an excellent youth group pastor, by the way. But it's your job, mom and dad, the poor youth pastor. He can only reinforce what's happening at home. This is what God said 3,500 years ago. I mean, it should be obvious to all that parents are in authority over children. But when a nation moves into divine abandonment, even that relationship itself will be fragmented. And how could it not be fragmented since God gave it? You won't consult the manufacturer's or owner's manual. How do you know how the car works? So now we have the President of the United States saying your children are not your children. They belong to the government. That's not what my Bible says. Do you understand... (laughs) That these statements are not coming from college professors, crazy websites, Reverend Wright type people. That this is the sitting president of the United States saying this, that your kids aren't yours. What do you attribute that to other than God removing himself? Giving a nation over to what it wants to do. What's the last thing that people are given over to? They're given over to a depraved attitude. Verse 32, although they knew the ordinance of God and that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they did, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. It's not just sinful actions, it's your heart becomes bent towards sin. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. The heart becomes sick and sinful. My goodness. Is America under the judgment of God? Yes, it is. 
We've taken God's disclosure of Himself, verse 18, and held it down, even though we're accountable for responding to the truth, verses 19 through 20, and then some terrible results begin to manifest themselves, verses 21 through 23, like idolatry and the darkening of the mind, and then the final icing on the cake, so to speak, is God abandons mankind or a nation to passion and its consequences. And some of you, I realize you're visiting this church and you're saying, why in the world did I come to this church? (laughs) I mean, I thought 4th of July was family and friends and barbecue. I mean, this is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I wouldn't call it depressing. I would just call it sober. It's a critique of where we are as a culture. But as promised, there's some really good news in it. You want to hear that? Well, we'll cover that next week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Here's the good news. Nothing is impossible for God. Can America turn around? I don't know. I just know nothing is impossible for God. Genesis 18 verse 14 said, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? You think of you think of Nineveh and what they were involved in. And Jonah being commissioned to preach grace to Nineveh and how Jonah didn't want to go. And he went and he announced the coming judgment of God and, and the whole city turned around. That's in the Bible. That, that could happen here. Maybe that's how we should be praying. Number two, God uses the ungodly for his own purposes. God is not sitting around in heaven saying, oh no, i got a bunch of wicked people running things down there. He's using the ungodly to advance his own purposes. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You look at the nation of Israel being brought out of the 70-year captivity back to the land of Israel from Babylon to Israel. You know who God used to do that? A guy that did not know God at all. A man named Cyrus. I mean, he wasn't even a Republican. God, through the prophet Isaiah, says of Cyrus, I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. It really doesn't matter who's in power. God is still in control. And he uses godless people to do his will. Don't don't get the idea that God has somehow lost control of things. Yes, he's abandoned, but he intervenes as, as he wants to. Number three, intercessory prayer still works. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings. 
and all who are in authority so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. You know, sometimes I'm complaining about the current situation and the Holy Spirit says, have you prayed for them today? Well, Lord, I, I don't agree with them. The Lord says, I didn't ask that. I didn't ask if you agreed with them. I asked you if you prayed for them. Yeah, but Lord, I didn't vote for them. I didn't ask you that either. I asked you to pray. I think one of the things that, with everything going crazy in our culture, one of the aspects of silver lining that may just be keeping things from going abysmal is the prayer of God's people. I hope you're a person of prayer, particularly for our nation. Prayer works. Are you praying for the Supreme Court? We got a great decision on Friday. Supreme Court rules in favor of Colorado graphic designer who refused to create a same-sex wedding website. The LGBTQ etc. crowd came to this website owner and said, make us a homosexual website. She said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I don't want to use my artistic abilities to glorify something that God condemns. I'll be happy to help you find another website designer. Oh, we don't care. We're going to take you to court. The Supreme Court stepped in and said, the First Amendment applies here. You cannot compel someone to do something against their conscience. Any more than a Nazi party representative can go into a Jewish bakery and demand a swastika cake. That's unacceptable in the United States. It's unacceptable here. Be be a person of prayer. There's a lot more positive things happening than what we sometimes recognize. And finally, with number four, and we'll end with this, Jesus is still building his church. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18 said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And he made that statement 2,000 years roughly before America came into existence. Let me just leave you with this little word of wisdom here. God doesn't need the United States. Well, how's poor God going to work if the United States falls apart the same way he's worked for 2,000 years, roughly, before America came into existence? God's hands are not tied by despotic, tyrannical regimes. In fact, do you know where some of the greatest works of God are happening right now in our world? Iran, underground church. China, underground church. In the places of the world with the greatest oppression, God's hands are not tied. His church is being built. His church is growing. Do you understand that when COVID hit and everybody was totally confused about what was going on, 
Do you realize that Sugarland Bible Church, in the midst of that, enjoyed a growth? No matter what category you look at, finances, attendance, membership, that Sugarland Bible Church grew probably 50% during that time period. And I'm hearing this from every faithful ministry I know of. Reports virtually the same thing. I mean, are, am I afraid of the next pandemic? From a human perspective, yeah. But from another perspective, I'm kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> because what's God going to do next? Because He actually uses these times of confusion and oppression to build His church. There is a conclusion here, believe it or not. The conclusion is, yes, America, very, very sadly, Romans 1, is under the judgment of God through divine abandonment. But God is still working. So let's be on the right side of God. Amen? Through prayer, petition, and letting God use us in the building of His church. Shall we pray? Father, we're grateful for... Fourth of July Sunday, even hearing something that's a little bit more difficult to swallow like us, but we need the the wake-up call. And just as our country over 200 years ago received a, a birth and freedom, there are many people within the sound of my voice that need the exact same thing. They need a birth. And they need the freedom that follows So I do ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict anyone listening or watching of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Convict them of their need to trust in the Savior for personal salvation. As you know, Lord, we call this good news because you did it all. The only thing you ask us to do is to trust in the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. And I pray that many, many people within the sound of my voice, even as I'm talking, would be putting their personal faith um, in the Savior and experience the supernatural birth that you promised, just as the United States enjoyed such a miraculous birth so many years ago giving us our political freedom only you lord can do this great work in the hearts and minds of people we ask for that and we ask for today many many salvations we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory we ask these things in jesus name and god's people said